Everybody, welcome to it, and happy Friday to you. It's the 26th of January, 2023, and it, like I said, it is Friday. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast. Thank you for listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. And don't forget the Weekend F and Review tonight, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com, as well as you enter to win the uh, autographed book this week, Edwin Buzz Aldrin, which I don't think he literally changed his name to Buzz. I think he dropped the Edwin stuff. So, autographed book from him check it out there at those sites appreciate it let's get started so we can get finished shall we there's a lot going on a bunch of things to talk about today we just got numbers from uh, the economy fourth quarter gdp growth expect joe biden to come out and throw out his shoulder patting himself on the back on this one but um we'll see Uh, when you've got i went through the jobs numbers for december when they came out and then they said oh it's it's more than expected and then they revised down november and october by i think it was seventy-five thousand jobs maybe a hundred thousand somewhere in there was a lot of jobs i i don't ever believe government numbers until they've been government numbers for a while so it takes a while for them to go all right now we what you have to understand is the people in charge of these departments are political hacks. The people who work in these departments are careerists, and many of them are leftist activists, so they recognize that their best way to have a stellar career and get advanced is to please the political hacks. And so they can inflate numbers. They can uh, highlight different things, like I say, all the time. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. So you can say, oh, we've had uh, 200,000 jobs last month. And everybody's excited. That's the headline. And then two months down the road, you go, we overestimated by 75,000 jobs. Oopsie. Well, that never makes the headlines. It's the 200,000. That's what people remember is the headlines. People don't remember the story or the revisions. It's like the correction page in a newspaper when... First of all, who reads newspapers anymore? Secondly, now it's even worse because they have corrections pages on their websites that nobody goes to or they put at the bottom of stories, oopsie, we meant this or we should have said that. And well, the story's already been read a thousand. You get a hundred thousand hits per day when the story breaks and five hits per day a month later on, people catching up and then at the bottom, one of those people reads all the way to the bottom to go, ooh, uh, I guess this entire precedent is is garbage. So keep that in mind as you hear these numbers. That being said, the fourth quarter, the economy of the United States allegedly grew 3.3%. It was only expected to increase at 2%, so that is beating expect Again, it's another indication of just how bad economists are and how clueless they are. And you would think these so-called experts that make these predictions, they have access to these numbers. They can see what's going on in the economy. How do they get things so wrong? And you have to, again, wait for the revisions. But nobody in politics waits for the revisions. Nobody in the politics waits for the dust to settle. Nobody in politics waits for anything. They immediately take advantage of anything they can capitalize on. And that's what you're going to see 
throughout the course of, I'd say, till next week when they come up with something else. In the media, they will be harping on economies booming, economies booming. Again, it is all part of the effort by the left to convince you that you don't know how good you've got it. You don't know how good you've got it. Now, if corporate profits are up, if the economy is growing and you can't buy groceries, do you go, oh, well, at least the economy's doing well, or do you go, I can't buy groceries, which is your priority? Well, Democrats would have you celebrate something that, quite frankly, unless you're a titan of industry, doesn't really impact you. It's just, unless you're a massive a CEO of a massive corporation or a government bureaucrat, this doesn't really impact you. It's about what happens at your house, not what happens at the White House. It's not what happens in uh, all of this bureaucracy and all of these corporate boardrooms. If you can't buy your groceries, it doesn't really matter that companies are seeing the highest stock prices ever or the stock market is as high as ever. I know both sides tout it. And, uh, although I will say there's one side the Democratic side, that when Republicans tout it, they say, those people on Wall Street are doing well, but you're not doing well, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly Democrats get in charge. All economic indicators are horrible. People are suffering. They can't afford groceries. They can't afford their gas. And they say, the stock market has reached a record high. Okay. Now that's good if you're retired and have a 401k. And everybody, you know... It's tempting to look at it and go, this is all for stockholders. This is not for the average person. But the average person probably doesn't think about it. But they do own stock. It's through 401k. It's through a, a 403b. It's through whatever it is. They, ha they are invested in it. Maybe not directly. They're not day traders. They're not sitting around doing this sort of stuff. But they are in the stock market. So a rising stock market does benefit people. And I promise you, uh, it'll hurt if the stock market collapses, if it even drops, you know, 20%, especially for current retirees. The longer you have uh, going out the uh, to retire, the better off you'll be from any sort of correction, which I think we're well overdue for, or drop, massive drop in the stock market. It is... Um, it's one of the damnedest things. Everybody sits there and goes, well, it's just the rich. It's not just the rich. The rich make the most money, obviously. If you have $5,000 in one particular stock and it doubles, you just made $10,000. That's great. But if you have $5 million in one particular stock and it doubles, you have five, ten million million. You've made more money. Which person does it matter more to is a matter for debate. It depends on how much money the person with $5 million has versus the person with 5000 has, but it, it does impact everybody. So I'm not trying to poo-poo that. But I would point out that that doesn't lower the price of food. That doesn't, you don't go and show your, your 401k statement, your IRA statement to the guy at the gas station and say, wait, I noticed you have a $3 gas up there, but if you take a look at this statement, I'm doing well. So you can you can charge me $2. That's not how it works. So uh, just to give a couple of things in 
perspective. This is from Jesse Cohen, global market analyst for investing.com. The U.S. economy grew at an annual rate of 3.3% for the fourth quarter, blowing past expectations for an increase of 2%. That's down from a growth of 4.9% in the preceding quarter. See, context is everything. If you look at the 3.3% in a vacuum or adjust against expectations, you go, that's great. If you look at it in the context of what the third quarter of 2023 was at 4.9%, it's a pretty significant drawback. Now, 4.9% is an anomaly. You're not going to match that every time. But if you choose to frame it in that way, you will have seen a 1.6% decrease in GDP from one quarter to another. Seems pretty significant, but that's not how it's measured. I'm just pointing out that if you wanted to frame it, if anybody wanted to frame it in different ways, because it will be framed as in a way that's also as irrelevant as, see, the number matters. What the expectation was doesn't. What the previous month was or previous quarter was doesn't. I would argue that what the previous quarter was uh, matters more than what the expectation was simply because there are points on a line and you can spot a trend if you go back a couple of points and you can see which way things are going. But I would uh, argue that neither one of them are particularly relevant to the average person, again, because we're not titans of industry. So real consumer spending rose by 2.8% year over year during the quarter after increasing 3.1% in quarter three. So spending is down. Consumer spending is down. Uh, the GDP price index ticked up 1.5%, the lowest annual increase since the second quarter of 2020. Uh, core prices rose 2%, matching expectations. Key takeaway, he says, despite fears over looming, a looming downturn, the U.S. economy continues to grow at above average pace as consumer spending remains resilient. With that being said, some pockets of uh, disinflation are starting to appear in the economy. Now, I would put out that perhaps we should be a little bit weary of things because so many, like consumer spending, you sort of dine out on that, and corporations don't really care where you get your money that you spend on their goods or services. They don't care where you get, they don't care. If it's out of your pocket, out of your savings, you're dipping into your IRA or you're racking it up on credit card debt. They don't really care where the money comes from. Why would they? Would you care? where your Hey, if you're, you're selling sandwiches in a sandwich shop and somebody comes in every day and uses their credit card or pay, you know, are you going to care? Hey, you should know. You should maybe, I don't know, get a less expensive um, sandwich here because it's going to rack up. It's going to cause problems. You. No, they're not. You're not going to care. You're not even going to notice. You're not even going to think about it. You're going to go, well, this is great. Another sale. This is great. Another sale. You wouldn't, the thought would never occur to you. It wouldn't, just like it wouldn't occur to you with a person with, with cash. But a person with cash isn't paying 20% or whatever on the cash to buy your sandwich. That's what we're dealing with. This story from Yahoo Finance, just to give it a little more perspective. The headline, it's from January 17th, just a week ago. 
Jaw-dropping stats about the state of debt in America. Most Americans have some credit card debt. A recent clever real estate uh, survey found that three in five Americans, 61% are in credit card debt, owing an average of $5,875. In addition, 23% say they go deeper into credit card debt every month, and 14% say they missed a payment in 2023. We're looking at more than a trillion dollars in credit card debt. We're looking, I can't wait for Democrats. If Joe Biden thinks that he can get mileage out of it and the polls don't turn in his favor in any way, shape, or form, expect him to try and offer, you know, getting rid of credit card debt, forgiving credit card debt, that sort of garbage. But it's important. You look at consumer spending, consumer spending is up. Ooh, consu- consumer spending is up because things cost more. And we just had Christmas, and they you can cook expectations by lowering expectations. That's one of the things that you'll find with time. Around the time that stocks start reporting, a good CEO, smart, not a good CEO, a smart CEO will try and put downward pressure on the people who make the estimates for the company for their next quarter earnings. Put it down, put it down. Why? Well, because if you beat expectations, then that's a bump in the stock price. It's good. It's good. And you go, well, you know, if you set expectations high, you'll get a bump in stock. Yeah, you get an immediate bump in stock prices. It depends on what your needs are. But long term, it'll. if you miss expectations, especially by a lot, you will see a massive downturn. You could lose your job. Whereas if you exceed expectations, even by a little, you're somehow a hero. So you can tamp down and and sort of manipulate the market to a certain extent. You can't do it blindly. I expect to lose a billion dollars next quarter, and then we we made five billion. Yay. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, would be looking at you for stock price manipulation and all of that. But you can fudge the numbers you can say well that's probably true it's going to cause us some good stuff but it might not happen this quarter so let's discount that a little bit move things down the ladder and you can fudge the numbers on the margins as best you can do the same thing with all these government money with all these government statistics set expectations low and then you almost can't help but exceed them. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what happened here, although I will say that a 2% growth after 4.9% is exceedingly low expectation-wise to go from one quarter to another. It ended up being 3.3%. Expect the president to take a victory, I can't call it a lap, a victory sort of shuffle around. The guy does not go anywhere near the press. The guy does not go anywhere near... Anything that is could be an unscripted moment. He only talks in safe spaces, but maybe, just maybe, he'll try come near a reporter so they can ask him some questions. None of the questions will be relevant, so I guess it doesn't really matter if he shows up or not. But there you go. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Bing, 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 bing. Now, there is other news going on. I want to get to some important things happening, particularly down at the southern border. We have a situation where the Supreme Court decision is being mischaracterized, to say the least, about the the border situation and the razor wire down there on the U.S.-Mexico border. They say that the Supreme Court has ordered the removal of it. No, the Supreme Court stopped, halted, overturned a stay from a lower court that prevented the Biden administration 
from removing it. It's a technical argument, and but it's just the the Supreme Court didn't say. I still don't. I disagree wildly with the the ruling. I think the conservatives made a huge mistake, and the liberals, of course, never gave a damn about the law. But the uh, the way it's being portrayed. It's a little bit different than the way it is, and, and, and accuracy matters, or at least it has to. That being said, the governor of Texas is digging in his heels, and good for him, because his first priority has to be to protect the people of his state, to protect his constituents. You would think that would also be the first priority of Joseph Robinette Biden in the White House, since that's kind of the job of president, but that's not not how it works with him. His priority is the illegal alien. You are, uh, as an American, you have no place in his world. You have no concern. They have no concern for you in any way, shape, or form. So they advocate for something else. And the outrage from the left continues. We'll get to the governor's statement in a second, but I just want to read you a couple of uh, notes from a couple of members of Congress couple of Democrats. They're both from Texas. Joaquin Castro tweeted out, Governor Greg Abbott is using the Texas National Guard to obstruct and create chaos at the border. There's actually only one two and a half mile long stretch in the entire 1,951 miles of the U.S.-Mexico border that there is no chaos in. And it's the two-and-a-half-mile stretch that Governor Abbott has put up this razor wire and stopped, effectively stopped, proving somehow that barriers and barricades work, the flow of illegal aliens over the border. The rest of the 1,948-and-a-half miles of the U.S.-Mexico border, you can pretty much mule all the fentanyl and human beings across it you want without any problems whatsoever, and you can uh, be greeted by sandwich-making members of Border Patrol and be given your phone and sent on your merry way with the pinky swear that you'll show up in court in 10 years. So Joaquin Castro is showing his cards here. He doesn't give a damn. I don't know who the people are who are dumb enough to vote for people like this, but they they do seem to cluster together and Democrats end up in office. He continues, if Abbott is defying yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, he's not defying. The Supreme Court ruling obligated Greg Abbott to do nothing. Again, this is why accuracy matters. It obligated Greg Abbott to do nothing. It said that a order saying that the Border Patrol, that the Biden administration was not allowed to remove the razor wire was was voided temporarily at least doesn't say texas national guard has to remove the razor wire if they want to remove the razor wire there's going to have to be footage of obama administration officials actually doing it probably the prospect of which terrifies the hell out of democrats it should considering how motivated people are to vote against them because of their handling the failure of the southern border but semantics no this is an important point so you have to keep things in proper perspective yeah, i would love i would love i mean i'd much rather have the whole border secure but if these people are going to go absolutely crazy and demand that the two and a half mile stretch be opened up again i want that footage 
I want that footage of Obama administration officials removing the barricades. And then I want the footage of the illegals storming through that area again. And then I want that all over television like a damn rash. It has to be. Put that all over TV. Let the American people see it. The beautiful thing about the Republican position when it comes to the border relative to the Democrats' position is all Republicans have to do is recite the truth. That's it. You just say, here's the pictures. Here's what they're doing. This is horrible. People will draw that conclusion. You don't even have to say this is horrible. People will know. Whether or not Republicans are capable of doing that, I don't honestly know. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. They could screw up a one-car funeral is the joke says, especially when it comes to messaging, but rarely is the messaging sitting there in the tee box on the tee with a nice strong wind at your back and a wide fairway that is straight to the hole just about the distance of your normal drive. That's this situation. He uh, continued, POTUS needs to establish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard now. See, no emergency in any realistic sense, but they want him to declare a state of emergency, Joaquin Castro does, to federalize the National Guard to take it away from the governor of Texas. This would set up a perilous situation, I think, where there would be some temptation and maybe some action, people refusing to be federalized. Lawsuits for sure. What is the national emergency for this? Where is the war? Where is the battle? Where? What is it? You not getting your way and throwing a temper tantrum is not it. But Democrats don't really care. It's the same thing we saw with COVID. It's the same thing we saw up in Canada with COVID. You grant government the power to grant itself emergency powers. And you think, well, it's just going to be normal. It's going to be perfectly, what could possibly go wrong? They'll never abuse this. They always abuse this. It's the nature of government to do that. One party recognizes that and tries to limit or eliminate this from government. And the other party personifies the problem and is the reason why you have to try to limit these things or eliminate them completely. So it's not just Joaquin Castro who's calling for the, the mobilization of the Texas Air National Guard, the federalizing of the National Guard. Congressman Greg Kasar, also of Texas, he tweeted out after Joaquin Castro, I agree with Joaquin Castro. If Abbott is defying yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, POTUS needs to establish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard. I will point out, no matter how many times you hear it, no matter how many so-called news anchors tell it to you, the governor of Texas is not defying any Supreme Court order. The Supreme Court, in fact, ordered him to do nothing. It had nothing to do with him. Nothing to do with ordering him to do anything. He put up razor wire. The feds wanted to come in and get it. A lawsuit ensued to try and block that. A lower court said, you can't remove it until this is adjudicated. The Supreme Court said, uh, no, that lower court order 
uh, preventing the feds from removing it, saying the feds can't remove it, is not valid. That in no way obligates Greg Abbott to do a damn thing. I know it's complicated. It requires liberal news anchors to think for a second or to have basic reading comprehension skills, and they simply don't. They Well, they can read Democratic Party press releases. So they just regurgitate what you what they get from the left. But Greg Abbott is putting more. There's nothing stopping Greg Abbott from doing anything. The Supreme Court rule, go ahead and read it. Greg Abbott is putting more razor wire down, not in defiance of a Supreme Court order, but the Supreme Court orders him to do nothing. It says the feds can remove it. Now, if he's not blocking them they're not going in yet i think that the white house is now rambling with the the horror of the success that they've just just got and i think they wanted to lose this case in the supreme court so they could then say because it's two and a half miles on the southern border and the southern border is 1951 miles two and a half miles doesn't matter but they wanted to be able to say, look at this activist left wing or right wing court. Look at this activist conservative court. They had all the Democrats on board on the court, predictably, like the sun and the tides. They're as predictable as that. They had all of them on board. So you sit there and you go, well, they were ready. We lose this and we lose it five to four. Or, better yet, 6-3, to three, so it's all those dastardly Republicans. We could then argue that it's an activist Supreme Court and we need to uh, re- change the makeup of the court, term limits, ethics, blah, blah, all the things they've been arguing, not because they think it's going to motivate a whole hell of a lot of voters, but it will motivate Democratic voters. It's not going to win people to their side. No poll indicates that the American people are on the side of Democrats, which, again, makes it super ironic that they are the people who scream and yell, this is what democracy looks like, because when they are presented with democracy and what it, in fact, does look like, they do the exact opposite. But that's beside the point. That's beside the point. They wanted to be able to argue about the evils, the ills, the problems, the horrors of the activist right-wing court, and they won. They're a lot like the... The dog who caught the car. Well, what do you do with the car now that you've got it, Fido? I don't think the Biden administration really wants to go in and remove this two and a half miles of razor wire. Because of what I just described, the bad optics of having the federal government come in and open up more of the border so more illegal aliens or so illegal aliens can enter even less uh, encumbered than they are entering already and they are entering unencumbered as it is. It's a horrible, horrible situation optically for Joe Biden. So that's why the, the second they got the order, they could have tried to go into this park and remove the two and a half miles of razor wire. They haven't. They have the authority to do it. And again, they have the authority to do it. Greg Abbott is under no obligation to make it easy for them or help them or do it themselves. So he's throwing down more razor wire, challenging, daring the Democrats 
to come in, daring the White House to come in. And you've got the Democratic congressional delegation going, we need to federalize. We need to remove the power of the people. Of, I'm not sure how well this will play in Texas, even in Democratic areas, because Texas is, you know, very independent. Maybe not the Democrats, but most Texans are. And they're saying, please, federal government, come in and protect us from this horrible governor who is trying to protect a small swath of the border from fentanyl and human smuggling and everything. Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, retweeted Castro and Kazar, by the way, and said, members of Congress who demanded the National Guard come to D.C. to protect them after January 6th now demand Biden stop Texas from using the National Guard to protect Texas. See, it's different when it's them. It's different when it's them. Protect them. They love them. You are... You're a bit of an inconvenience. You're kind of in the way. You prevent them from imposing their will on other people. Now, that's not entirely true. They don't really prevent them. They hinder them. They slow down what they call progress. It's not progress in any sense that a real human being thinks of it, but it's what Democrats define it, and they continually are rewriting the dictionary. But if you really want to know the real-world impact of what's going on at the southern border, look no further than this story. It's coming out of Boston. Now you'd think, what the hell does Boston have to do with the southern border? And under normal circumstances, Boston would have really nothing to do with the southern border. Let's be honest about it. But Thanks to Democrats and the flood of illegals and the just massive quantity of illegals, everywhere is a border town. Thanks to, actually, realistically, I mean, the Democrats could easily stop this by not advocating for and demanding open borders. But thank God for Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis for making every town, especially liberal towns, border towns. You want to be a sanctuary city? You want to be a sanctuary state? Great. Here. We're helping you offer sanctuary to these people. We can't deport them because the Biden administration prioritizes them over Americans. So you share some of the burden. And you see how these places are collapsing. New York, we got 50,000 illegal aliens. We can't afford it. can't handle it. I would posit that a lot of people coming across the southern border already were going to go to New York. They were just going to go to New York on their own. And there's a lot of illegals in New York because it is so, quote unquote, welcoming and they have welfare programs where they don't check ID. So what happens is they just filter in. on. They take a bus. They they walk. They hitchhike. They fly. Whatever it is, they get to New York. All these illegal aliens aren't ultimately settling in the border towns of Texas. There just simply isn't enough to do there. So they were going to end up there. The difference is these Republican governors bussing and flying them up there is they concentrated it and they made it visible. What was invisible, what was slowly absorbed in private behind the scenes is now right out in the open for everyone to see. And a lot of these illegals didn't know they could get all these benefits. They didn't realize the extent to which the left had bent over backwards and was wasting our tax money on people who have no right to be here. And now they're getting it because activist groups know where they're going to be. They know where they're going to be. And they can sign them up. And it's wonderful for them, but it's costing the cities a lot of money. They're having to find places to put them. So they take over the Roosevelt Hotel and ban Americans from going there so they can roll it up and fill it up with 
illegal aliens. High schools in Chicago. Eh, I would get rid of the American kids. Eh, actually, the best thing to happen to kids in Chicago is to keep them out of school. Honestly, the school is making them dumber. So uh, they can get educated in any way. They just replace them with vouchers. They'd be much better off. But Democrats will never do that. But everywhere is being flooded. All these places, these compassionate places are being flooded with illegal aliens calling their bluff on the compassion. And now it brings us to Boston. Dozens, this is New York Post, dozens of migrant families have set up camp in Boston's international airport as Massachusetts struggles to find shelter for the booming migrant population. What? Yes, illegal aliens. You can find the footage of this online. Illegal aliens are sleeping at Logan Airport. You can't walk. To, if you don't have a ticket for a plane, you can't really go in anywhere except for the very beginning and sort of mill around baggage claim. And that's it. That's I remember the time before 9-11 when you could go to the gate. Actually, if there's anything positive to come out of this whole thing is that you don't longer have to stand there at the gate and wait for somebody to go and try and pretend you're waving to them through those little tiny windows. But we used to do that to my aunt in California when she'd come to visit all the time. She's like, oh, there's Antonio. I don't know if that's Antonio or not. You didn't have a telescope. But you're like, that's yes. And you, you wave and you wait and you couldn't leave. We couldn't leave until the damn airplane was in the air. And like, okay, why? Why? It didn't make any sense. But to me as a kid, all I wanted to do was go play. Now you can't. You can go to security. Unless you're an illegal alien, then you can go anywhere you want. You can set up a sleeping bag. And just basically plant your flag in the tile, and that becomes the sovereign nation of I have no place to shower a stand, and you get to stay there as long as you want and collect probably you can probably put down I live across from the south southwest check-in gate at Logan Airport on your address for welfare checks, and they'll deliver them directly to you. Back to the story. Nearly 100 people, including many young children, have been sleeping on cots on the floor at Logan International Airport's International Terminal in scenes eerily similar to those at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Right. The airports across the country are becoming liberal cities are becoming refugee camps. What could possibly go wrong? You take your shoes off, take your belt off, take your pants down. Stand up there and let us scan your naked body for the whole world to see. Oh, wait, step out of the way and allow this family of, you know, three 70-year-olds and two seven-year-olds of illegal aliens who will never contribute to society and anything close to what they'll cost society. Let them through unfettered right this way. Go pick a nice little nook to set your tent up in. It's all good. Don't worry. The migrants were huddled in hats and blankets as they lay next to piles of their belongings in footage taken by CBS Boston, Massachusetts State Police. Officers are being paid overtime to patrol the area. Governor Maura Healey said Monday, blaming the Biden administration for the mess. Did you hear this? You won't hear this. Quote, we need D.C. to act. We need Congress to act, she said when asked about the airport chaos. That ain't the Biden administration. We need D.C. to act. We need Congress to act. She's a Democrat. She's trying to blame Republicans or dealing with the New York Post. Quote, the path here 
in terms of what needs to be done to fix the border situation, to change some of the asylum process and get much-needed funding to interior states who have had to shoulder the burden for the problem that is geopolitical and is not of this state's making, she said. Now, I love that. She needs money, wants money for interior states. What is that code for? What is that shorthand for? Screw the border towns. Screw the border states. Eagle Pass, Texas has a population of, you know, the average junior college football attendance. And yet there is no concern for them. Them being overrun by 5,000 people per day, but 5,000 people make their way to Boston over the course of a few weeks or a few months, and suddenly it's a problem. I promise you, 5,000 people were making their way to Boston beforehand. They just were making it there in groups of one, two, five, whatever, and they were not making a big stink, and most importantly, there were no media cameras there to greet them. Now that people see what's going on, these leftists have to pretend to care. And if there's one thing leftists exceed at, it is pretending to care. But they don't really care. They don't really give a damn. So keep all of this in mind when you hear the stories about, oh my God, Texas is defying the Supreme... They're not defying the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ordered Texas to do nothing. Nothing whatsoever, except they can't prevent the Biden administration from doing something. It didn't obligate Texas to do anything. The Biden administration likely is a little bit concerned about doing what the Supreme Court empowered them to do because they had the ability and the people to do it almost immediately upon that ruling being entered into the record, and they didn't. They didn't. So, Maybe, just maybe, there's something more going on here that the media either doesn't understand because their heads are too far up the political activism wing of their party, which you can imagine where that is, or they don't want the audience to understand because it does not bode well for their party. Either one isn't a particularly good look for journalists. I'll let you decide which one is more likely. In other news, uh, what, what do I think is going to happen with the southern border? Do I think that Joe Biden is going to rush in there? And do, I think he has to kind of do something, to be honest with you. I don't see how he can placate the activist base in his party by doing nothing. I don't think he wants to do it all that quickly, but there's no... No holidays coming up, no holiday weekends coming up where they can do it on a Friday and people will be off until Monday, off until Tuesday, and so nobody will think about it. People won't be paying attention. So we'll see how it it works itself out. But I suspect he'll drag his feet for a while, hoping that circumstances will change or hoping that maybe Abbott will get another court victory or whatever it is, because the attorney general of the state of Texas has promised to continue the fight legally, and the governor has issued a statement saying we're not going to stop. So both are in the right, and I just want you to be aware of the fact that the Supreme Court does not obligate them to do either or anything. Greg Abbott, in fact, released the following statement. The federal government has broken a compact between the United States and the states. 
The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal law protecting states in protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce those laws and even violated them. The result is that he has smashed records for illegal immigration. Despite having been put on notice in a series of letters, one of which I delivered to him by hand, President Biden has ignored Texas's demand that he perform his constitutional duties. President Biden has violated his oath to faithfully execute immigration laws enacted by Congress instead of prosecuting immigrants to the f- for the federal crime of illegal entry. President Biden has sent his lawyers to federal courts to sue Texas for taking action to secure the border. President Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants. The effect is to illegally allow their in-mass parole into the United States. By wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open Texas's border security infrastructure, President Biden has enticed illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along the state's southern border, bridges where nobody drowns, and into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande. Under President Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border in just three years. That is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the United States. James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution, therefore saw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. That is why the framers included both Article 4, Section 4, which promises the federal government, quote, shall protect each state against invasion, end quote, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders. Arizona versus the United States, blah, 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 setting court case. The failure of the Biden administration to fulfill duties imposed by Article 4, Section 4, has triggered Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which reserves to the states the right of self-defense. For this reason, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. The authority is the supreme law. That authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. The Texas National Guard, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and other Texas personnel are acting on that authority as well as state law to secure the Texas border. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. Amen, brother. Right there. What the Biden Biden administration hasn't really responded to that yet. I'll be curious to see how that works out, but I don't know what political leg they have to stand on. You're dealing with a guy who's wildly unpopular already, going to go to bat for something that is wildly unpopular. Possibly. I wouldn't put anything past him if he thinks he can inspire his radical leftist base to vote for him, to get excited about him. He'll do damn near anything. Now, I want to 
point out parts of that radical leftist base, the UAW, the United Auto Workers. Now, I grew up in a UAW home. My father was a UAW member. I don't know that he was necessarily a proud UAW member. He kind of, he obviously did not follow their left-wing agenda or their recommendations. He was not particularly ecstatic at the prospect of his union dues being used to prop up the candidacies of people and policies he personally found repugnant. And he did. That is true. That much I can verify. And I can also verify that uh, it's anecdotal, but pretty much every UAW member that I knew growing up, and I knew a lot of them growing up because my dad, his friends, they all worked at various factories for GM, didn't matter. Chrysler back then when it was, now it's Stellantis, which sounds like a drug company. But um, they are not fans. The guys I used to play euchre with in a euchre tournament every week at a bar called Chicks, which sadly seems to have gone under in uh, Detroit, they were not fans of what the UAW was doing with their money. And that hasn't changed. Rank and file you'd think. And here's the big kind of joke about left-wing organizations, about unions in general. They absolutely pretend, and they'll sit there and peacock around about how they, they're for the workers. They represent the workers. They blah, blah, blah. They don't actually care about the opinions, the desires, the wants, the needs of their membership. Oh, if somebody gets in trouble on the job, and I heard plenty of stories of people at various UAW factories who would just go out and get absolutely obliterated, hammered at lunch, passing out in the bathroom at a Chinese restaurant. It was fairly commonplace. And uh, not making it back to work. And they, they were not disciplined. They weren't, there was, you know, union swept it up, made it go away. They were protected by the contract. Now, they also... My dad would tell me that they had a certain amount of work they had to do and they could do it. If things were there in line and set up, they could do it. They could do eight hours worth of their job in three hours if they really, if everything was in place. So maybe these people got hammered on days they didn't have to really do anything the second half of the day. They just kind of had to sit there. They had to physically be there in order to get paid. I don't know. But it did happen on a regular basis. And the union covered it up. Union helped him out but as far as you know somebody being really good at their job and this is why i think union membership is so unpopular there's no reward for being good at your job in the union you've been there x number of years this is your pay that's it it's not and you get a nice little 10 percent bump on top of it because all your supervisors say that you're the best and they don't want to lose you there's none of that it is here's what you get You've been here this, that guy who passed out, he's been here 20 years. You've only been here three. So when they go to layoffs, you get laid off first because it's about time served, not about ability. You could be the best employee they have. They can't keep you, thanks to the union. That kind of pisses off a lot of people, causes people to not want to join unions. They learn that. 
But again, the biggest thing I think that causes people to not want to join unions is the membership sits there and watches their leadership ignore their wishes, ignore their thoughts, marginalize, the left loves that word, marginalize people who don't toe the liberal line. And most union members don't toe the liberal line. It's weird how a billionaire like Donald Trump can be so, it's not relatable, but beloved and seemingly the uh, the union membership, the, the blue-collar guys really believe that Donald Trump gets them. Maybe he does, I don't know. But you, these are people who, when there's some rich guy pulling up in the pocket square and wearing a tie in the blue-collar bra, they look at him like, what the hell's this guy doing here trying to sell insurance? What is this guy? Donald Trump somehow manages to get around that, and he's richer than all of them. So I don't, I don't understand it. But you want to see an example of why it is, well, the disconnect between union leadership and union membership. It was personified by a guy called Sean Fain, not to be confused with Sinn Fein, the militant wing of the Irish Republican Army, the terrorist wing, or maybe they were the political wing, whatever. Um, they, uh, Sean Fain is the current president of the UAW. Now, I want to play you first. I'm going to play you what he says about his members, but I want to play you first Sean Fain calling Donald Trump a scab. Sean Fain calling Donald Trump a scab. Yesterday, Sean Fain, with the authority vested in him by the UAW, on behalf of the UAW, in spite of UAW members' wishes, endorsed Joe Biden. Now, it's kind of funny because this didn't happen in Michigan. This didn't happen in Ohio. This didn't happen in some blue-collar area of the United States where auto plants are common and the local economy is dependent upon the auto industry or anything. And the union membership runs. This happened in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Sean Fain came to Washington, D.C. to endorse Joe Biden. Why? Because Joe Biden, he, he's not well. He can't really travel all that well. I was at a, a big rally in Washington, D.C. that I promise you, I promise you'll hear the crowd cheering. I promise you there aren't really enough UAW members in the area to fill during the day a hall the size of the one that they used for this official endorsement. I'm not saying these weren't union workers. I wouldn't say that the UAW brought in scabs. I'm saying that the UAW probably bought a lot of office administrators from the UAW headquarters and the entirety of the Washington lobbying arm for the UAW. They brought them there. And I would even go so far as to suggest that there are many members of other unions in the audience here because again you're not really i don't know maybe there are auto plants around here somewhere but again people have to work so they can't take off in the middle of the day to go to a political speech and at night most people even if they are pro biden aren't going to go you know what i'm going to screw dinner with my family or screw watching whatever i'm just going to go to this union event to placate the bosses they just need bodies they need clapping barking seals on cue to applaud and that's what sean fain got when he was calling donald trump a scab 
But I want you to just pay attention to this, not only the words, but the tone of what Sean Fain is saying here, because it'll contrast nicely with the next clip. Donald Trump is a scab. Donald Trump is a billionaire, and that's who he represents. If Donald Trump ever worked in an auto plant, he wouldn't be a UAW member. He'd be a company man trying to squeeze the American worker. Donald Trump stands against everything we stand for as a union, as a society. When you go back to our core issues, wages, retirement, health care, and our time, that's what this election's about. This election's about who will stand up with us and who will stand in our way? Those are the questions that will win or lose this election and will decide our fate. Those are the questions that will determine the future of our country and the fate of the working class. Now, you notice that the enthusiasm there dropped off dramatically from Donald Trump is a scab. That's a partisan applause line that's why it was said that's why it was thrown in there donald trump isn't a scab he's not a non-union worker he's not a union worker i promise you that ironically enough i would suggest that well i know for a fact that donald trump has dealt with more union workers in the construction trade than joe biden has ever met in his life because joe biden's entire life has been in politics there's no politics union there's no politics union Joe Biden didn't get rich because he was paid, you know, a fair wage the same way that all the other workers. No, he got rich because he sold out access and everything. But the idea that he, Donald Trump is a scam, he doesn't care about working. Men. Joe Biden has never been a working man. The only job he ever had that wasn't in politics was when he got into a fight with Corn Pop, was a bad dude. And they used to let young black children pet his leg hair. He really said those things. But uh, that was it. But they are on board for the left-wing causes. That's all the union is. It doesn't matter what membership wants, what union membership actually thinks. And you sit there and you go, well, Derek, you're assuming facts, not an evidence. You're <coughs> saying things against the union just because you're anti-union. No, I'm not anti-union. I don't care if you want to join a union, knock yourself out. I care about forced membership in anything. I, compare, I care about compulsion. Compulsion. Well, that very same UAW president, Sean Fain, was on with Neil Cavuto the other day on Fox News Channel. And you just heard him, we're going to be the working man, blah, 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 blah. Well, in the interview with Neil Cavuto, he admits that the majority of UAW members are actually going to vote for Donald Trump. 
which if you're sitting there with power to the workers, this is what democracy looks like. We need to blah, 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 listen to the, and you're then going, ah, we need to listen to the union. We need to listen to the workers. I mean, not everything except for things that disagree with my political agenda and really what I want to do with this union. Then screw the workers and let's just go straight for my will. See, communists, fascists, socialists are populists when the public is with them, and then they're dictators when they're not. They're dictators all along. They just, they don't give a damn what the people want. They just use it when it's convenient to them. Listen to UAW President Sean Fain admit on Fox that eh, he's, well, the UAW membership is going to vote for Donald Trump. You know, there's always a dichotomy. I mean, uh, the union membership in the past was very strong for Ronald Reagan in both elections. Uh, George uh, Bush Sr. benefited uh, from the union vote. Uh, many of your own members now, Sean, are, are very big Trump supporters. I don't know the breakdown. You know that far better than I. <laughs> but that a, a good many of them are at Trump rallies and are MAGA enthusiasts. How do you feel about that? Look, every, it's what makes this country, you know, a beacon for other countries. You know, it's, it's democracy in action. Um, look, let me be clear about this. A great majority of our members will not vote for President Biden. Uh, yes, some will. Uh, but that's the reality of this. Uh, the majority of our members are going to vote their paychecks. They're going to vote for an economy that works for them, and they're going to vote for a president. When you look at these two presidents, the choice is very clear about which one stands up with the working class and stands up for labor and which one stands for the billionaire class. <laughs> you love it. Hey, people are going to vote. They're going to vote. They're going to vote for their wages. They're going to vote for their paycheck. They're going to vote for Yeah, Joe Biden is trying to kill the auto industry by mandating uh, electronic vehicles that aren't going to sell, and they're going to you know close down real factories and make these factories, and they're going to go out of business and screw over the UAW workers, and UAW employees know that. But he's right there. Look, the vast majority of my membership is not going to vote for Joe Biden. Well, then why the hell did you endorse him? On what authority, on what grounds did you endorse him? See, this is why people hate unions, and this is why that hatred of unions is absolutely justified. While we're still on the UAW thing and the union thing in general, I just want to uh, mention just a little bit more about these unions big and the what they're doing when they're supporting Democrats. And you buy a car, you're paying for a lot of things, a lot of things you want. But everything that's added in there, everything that comes, stand, comes standard. I love how, especially when I was a kid, I suppose less so now because they don't really talk about the features. They just put a little fine print at the bottom of TV commercials and say, package shown is uh, this package. And it's always like the most expensive package shown doing. They also show commercials of, here's a truck driving up a cliff up to another cliff, up a mountain, and then at the bottom it says professional driver, closed course, do not attempt. And you go, well, why the hell are you showing me? Why would, why would you tell me, try to sell me on something by showing something the truck can't really do or the car can't really, the vehicle can't really do or at least shouldn't do unless until I've spent, you know, 10 years on the NASCAR circuit or off-roading or whatever. Like, why, why would you do that? My favorite is when they're just driving through... Uh, like some of them, they have the cars doing absurd things, and it's obviously a stuntman, and they're like, well, stunt driver, do not attempt. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, there go my weekend plans. I was going to try and jump three school buses, but now you screwed that whole up. But when they have the car driving in the downtown area where everything's closed off, 
and they go, uh, hey, professional driver closed course, do not attempt. And you're just, all they're doing is making a left-hand turn. I can't make a left-hand turn in this car? Like, I can't drive at the speed limit down the road here? A little secret. My my late brother-in-law used to work on those commercials and the print ads that go with them and everything. And 90% of the cars you see in commercials aren't real. They're computer-generated. So you sit there and you go, God, my car never that clean. No car. Yeah, no, it's because it's fake. It's a fake car. The whole thing is fake. <laughs> just, just how it is. How hard is it? Like you look at a cereal ad or a cereal box, the cover of your cereal box, you go, and you don't realize that the milk in the picture surrounding your little Cheerios or oats or whatever, it's usually nine times out of 10, it's like Elmer's glue. Because on camera, you take a quick picture of it, Elmer's glue is a lot you know, nicer looking, smoother and whiter than milk is and you go that's ridiculous why who cares nobody cares but a lot of people just uh, so much of life so much of industry so much of jobs is people just justifying their jobs it really truly is you'll find that out if you don't know it already anyway the democrats that get full-throated union support are screwing over the auto industry in every way shape or form they possibly can out in the state of California, California is our most populous state. If they mandate something for cars under the guise of safety, they more than likely are mandating it for every state in the union. Why? Because they're the most populous state in the country. A whole bunch of other states have tied their laws to what California does. And so they say, all right, well, it's automatically the thing, especially when it comes to environmental restrictions. It's automatically a thing we have to have here too and so you end up with half the country or more mandated mandating things in the auto industry because california did something also the auto industry can't afford to retool their shops to produce cars for one state no matter how populous it is or the rest of the state they just produce one car so they're like all right well the bar is this high in california or the bar is sit here for whatever we're just going to sell that everywhere and it's going to cost more because you want to add, let's add a 12th airbag right in the middle, comes out of the armrest. And it, all right, great. Let's mandate that. Okay, that's $500 more to the price of a car. What? Why? Well, because it costs $500 to do that. The manufacturer of the airbag isn't a charity going around giving away their product, going, I hope this saves a life. They're going... I'm going to produce this for $400 and I'm going to sell it for $500. And then I will take that $100 and light a cigar with it or whatever it is. That's just the way it works. It's the way business works. It's the way capitalism works. Were it not for capitalism, we'd all be driving Trabants. If you don't know what a Trabant is, look it up. It's like a Soviet Union car, East Germany, actually, under the old Soviet Union. It used a two-stroke gasoline engine that was basically a lawnmower with four wheels and a door. The joke, it's a terrible car. But everybody had to had one suffered equally, so it was for the workers. So you go out to California and you look at as the UAW in the afterglow of endorsing Joe Biden and Democrats in general, you see State Senator Scott Weiner. If that name sounds familiar, it's because once you hear somebody called Scott Weiner, you never forget that you heard of somebody called Scott Weiner. 
And uh, you remember that this is the guy who helped legalize sex with underage boys, lower the age of consent in homosexual relationships. Why? Because I don't even know. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Is there a good reason for it? He happens to be a gay man, so and he represents San Francisco. So that's what you get. Stupidity. A lot of stupidity in California flows from him. A few years ago, the state of California decriminalized knowingly giving someone AIDS or exposing someone to AIDS or HIV. Used to be if you have AIDS or HIV and you were about to have sex with somebody, by law, you had to inform them that you are HIV positive, so they might make an informed decision about their own protection in their own bodies, right? They can decide to go through with it. They can decide to pass. They can decide that they want to take certain precautionary measures, whatever. Scott Weiner, for reasons known only to Weiner, decided that that was uh, homophobic. It was just wrong. It was whatever. How he doesn't have to explain, because Democrats never have to explain, especially California Democrats. And the rest of the state legislature went along with him, and the governor went along with him. And they said, yeah, you know what? To hell with that. Let's, uh, you could take a pill and probably not die from AIDS. So let's just go ahead and get rid of that. You can keep your AIDS secret secret and have unprotected sex with anybody you want. So you, again, begin to see little Scott Wieners priorities in life well if you're trying to afford a new car he's going to try to make it even more expensive and you think this is too stupid to become uh, everything he's done is so damn stupid you think that can't become law it will become law underage sex with boys thing is disgusting and people should be rotting in jail before they rot in hell for that and knowingly giving somebody AIDS, the same sort of thing, but that impacts people in California. This move by Wiener is going to impact everybody because, again, California, if California mandates something, it becomes a mandate elsewhere in the country automatically and then the auto industry just incorporates it to everything they make and we all end up paying the price. The San Francisco Standard. <clears throat> the headline, driving 10 miles an hour too fast? This California lawmaker wants tech to stop you. A California lawmaker announced a bill Wednesday that would require new passenger vehicles and large trucks sold in California to be equipped with technology that would prevent them from going more than 10 miles an hour above the speed limit. State Senator Scott Weiner, who represents San Francisco, announced the legislation as part of a larger package of street safety proposals in response to surging traffic deaths in the U.S. Well, maybe you get your left-wing nutball rioters to stay out of the roads and fewer people will be hit by cars. Could we have seen far too many people being seriously injured and dying on our streets, Weiner said. Yeah, because you have a permanent protest class that thinks that playing Red Rover with cars and trucks around blind curves in the middle of the night is a smart play. Personally, I think it is as far as weaning out the gene pool of stupid people, but that's just me. 
If Senate passes, if, if passed, Senate Bill 961 would require vehicles beginning with model year 2027 that are manufactured or sold in California, and it'll be everywhere because that's just how it works, to come with a speed governor, also known as an intelligent speed limiter. It would make California the first state in the nation to mandate this technology. These devices match a vehicle's global positioning system location with a database of speed limits to figure out what speed a vehicle would be should be traveling at during any given time. Now, don't you love that? They just slip that in there. Slide that in past the goalie just a little bit. You can see why Wiener likes it. He slides in there. You're going to track your GPS. You're going to track your car. Through GPS, government has to have access to your GPS so that it can know which road you're on, so that it can know how fast you're allowed to go. Don't worry, government would never abuse that information. Government would never, ever overstep its bounds or track people. That would be, I mean, unless you look at January 6th and anybody who happened to have a cell phone in Washington, D.C. at that time has gotten a visit from the FBI. But that's beside the point. You're being a little paranoid there, Derek. Calm down. Calm down. This is the world that progressives would love to. You know, it's, it's Republicans who are the fascists. Now we must pass this legislation so that we can control how fast you go and know where you are at any given moment, okay? To protect you from those fa wow, you, you fascism to protect us from fascism. Yes, you must intrude on our privacy to protect us from people who don't want to intrude on our privacy. That's weird. Okay, go ahead, square that circle, wiener. You got to love that. You have to love that. Drivers would be able to temporarily override the speed uh, governor, according to the proposal, in case there's an emergency. But I would say this. I would ask, if you're going to go this far, and again, it's what I said about the slippery slope the other day. Well, the piece, reason people talk about slippery slopes is because most slopes are super slippery. Uh, you say, well, we're going to be able to override this. It's 10 miles an hour. You can speed 10 miles an hour. And most people go, well, if you're five miles an hour over, the police aren't going to give you a ticket. Some Most cops will let you slide for like eight, nine. You get beyond 10, and then you're going to get a ticket. You're going to get pulled over for sure. But if Wiener wants to mandate these things in cars, what's the point of a speed limit? Honestly, if you're going to allow somebody to go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit as a matter of law, then are you not negating the concept of a speed limit? Or at least not the concept of a speed limit because you're limiting it, but you're certainly negating. You'd have a pretty good defense if you got a, a ticket for going seven over. You take that to court and say, hey, I was only doing what the government allowed my car to do i couldn't go 11 miles an hour over but damn it i can go seven miles an hour over if if they'll allow me to go if they're going to control how fast i can go then why would they allow me to speed in the first place it opens up a whole can of worms of stupid that democrats never think of but realistically the one they hope you don't think of is the fact that they are going to have to by necessity track your every move in order to enforce this. And that ain't going to be free. The running of the GPS, that would be run by the government. Of course, they're going to have to impose it. This is how it works. 
when an industry is unregulated, and I know obviously the auto industry is heavily regulated, but I'll use an industry unregulated example here to illustrate the point more clearly. If an industry is unregulated and then the government comes in and says, we must regulate this, don't worry, we're not going to tax, we're just going to make sure that it's safe for everybody. We're going to make sure it's whatever it is for everybody. Well, there are uh, costs imposed on that industry that are passed on immediately to the consumer anyway for compliance costs and whatever technology they mandate is put in there. But then for government, there will eventually come a point where there are administrators who have to make sure that whatever regulations, even though they don't cause direct taxation by the government, that those things need to be paid for. It costs money. Taxpayers are paying. And then it becomes taxpayers are on the hook to make sure that these regulations are followed. Why should we have to do that? Why should taxpayers have to do And then they will say, we need a small tax on this industry, on this business, on this whatever, in order to pay for it. That's all. Well, again, that, just like everything else, gets passed on to the consumers. It's weird how that works. That slippery slope keeps getting slipperier and slipperier. And then you have a bunch of bureaucrats who are justifying their existence, who then find more reasons to regulate more. And the more regulations means more expenses for the state. And that means higher taxes, which means higher costs for the consumer. There is no pool of magical money sitting out there that does not originate from your pockets. How the government gets into it is a matter of messaging. It's a matter of semantics. But make no mistake about it, it all comes from you. It all costs you, whether it's filtered through a bureaucracy or whether it's filtered through debt spending or whether it's filtered through increased costs. It all comes from you. We're sticking it to those evil corporations. We are going to tax them $10,000 and then we'll take that money and give it to the children in the schools. Okay. Hey, wait a second. Why did that product go up in cost by $10,000? Those damn greedy corporations... Well, they're probably operating on 2 or 3% margins, making a lot of money on volume. And the more government tries to dip their hands into their bank accounts, the more they have to raise their prices. It all comes back to government. The direct line, they worry about the school-to-prison pipeline. Worry about the your-pocket-to-government waste pipeline. That pipeline gets drainoed every day and is kept crystal clear because they want to keep that one flowing like there's no tomorrow. I want to uh, shift gears and talk a little bit about the historic Corinne Jean-Pierre. What, what day would be complete without mentioning the wildly historic Corinne Jean-Pierre? Cercle bleu. So historique, you see. You know, they are so historique. Oh, wow. uh, every, every French accent I do sounds like straight out of a cartoon. Anyway, Corinne Jean-Pierre was... Uh, Bombarded with questions. Not really. You want to know how the, all the stuff going on at the southern border, and they don't really even ask about the, the stuff we talked about earlier with Greg Abbott and the two and a half miles and why this two and a half miles is so sacred that it must be unblocked, why illegal aliens are so special that they cannot even have a bump in the road or uh, anything that might deviate their uh, GPS coordinates that the drug cartels and human smugglers have given them that 
Texas securing two and a half miles of a 1,951-mile border is such a threat to democracy somehow that they it must be torn down. It must be taken care of. It must be undone. They don't ask questions about that in the press corps. They ask questions about Joe Biden's campaign without making it about the campaign. See, they can't really come out and say, Joe Biden, Republicans suck, don't they, uh, Corinne? Because she'll go, they do, but I can't really get into why they suck because I'm afraid of violating the Hatch Act and things like that. They, uh, plus, honestly, you don't want Corinne Jean-Pierre to be your campaign spokesman. She's bad enough as it is with all the resources of the federal government and speaking on behalf of the White House. You take it to a campaign and you allow her to get a little more freewheeling and political, and holy God, how horrible would she end up being? Just terrible. No, embarrassingly bad. So they don't want that. But uh, they do ask her about campaign events, and you may have missed it the other day because... I mean, I guess the nightly newscast covered it a little bit. But there's nobody really talking about abortion right now except Democrats because they don't want to talk about anything but abortion because on everything else, they're way out of touch touch with the American people. So they think, well, we can, we can just throw red meat to these leftists and they'll show up. They'll save us. That's where the energy in the party really is. It tells you a lot about the party. And that party sucks that their energy is in abortion, right? But um, so they had a rally with Joe and Kamala. Joe and Kamala got together. They went to not to a swing state, not to any place where there's a Democratic primary coming up, not any place that might be and maybe want to try and influence voters. No, they go to the activist hubs of leftists. For the UAW, they stayed in Washington, D.C., a place where Joe Biden will win with 90 plus percent of the vote. Uh, provided that voters show up and aren't carjacked on the way to voting. And for abortion, they went to Manassas, Virginia, Northern Virginia. The rest of the state is pretty deep red where normal people live. But you get into Northern Virginia, and that is the hub of illegal alien residences and government workers slash lobbyists. The bread and the butter of the Democratic Party. So it is, you sit there and you watch the results come in. It's like St. Louis. Northern Virginia is like St. Louis on election night. What do you mean? Well, like St. Louis used to be. Used to be on election night, there'd always be somebody in St. Louis filing a lawsuit to keep the polls open later. Why? Because there are long lines in St. Louis. Who knew that in the poorest areas of the crime-ridden city of St. Louis, people are most the most excited about the prospect of voting for Democrats? What I really want is to make sure that my voice is heard so that the people who have ruined my neighborhood continue to hold power. Yes, that's essentially what they'd have you believe. So some enterprising Democrat always files suit to keep the polls open later in St. Louis or East St. Louis, one of the two, take your pick. And some appeasing judge goes, well, yes, of course. People's franchises must be exercised. And so they keep 
The place is open later in East St. Louis, and that meant that the rest of the state didn't get to stay open later. They start reporting results. This was back when we voted on one day. They start reporting results. That empowered St. Louis, or East St. Louis, depending on which location they did, the Democrats there to determine roughly how many votes they needed for the Democrats to win that current election. Now, sometimes it was just out of reach and there's like, there's no way we can manufacture that many votes. And other times they'd get the polls open two, three hours later and the activists would go absolutely crazy, bussing everybody they possibly could to the polls and uh, doing other things and manufacturing enough votes to win a narrow victory. See, because when they got that judge's order, it was never because state law everywhere says if polls close at, say, 7 o'clock, if you're in line and you get in line at 6.59, you get to vote, even if that line is 15 miles long and takes three days to get through. They're usually not 15 miles long. They usually only take maybe 45 minutes an hour at the most to get through. But you get to vote if you're in line. What the Democrats sued for in St. Louis was not that state law be observed because nobody was arguing state law wasn't going to be observed. They wanted people who got in line at 7.01, at 7.30, to be able to vote. And the judges, reliably Democrat, always agreed. Because why? Because people need to be franchised. And the argument was always, well, you see, people went to vote and they saw this big line and they decided that they would not be able to get to vote in time. They didn't understand. They're wildly ignorant and incredibly stupid. Now, these are the arguments Democrats made. And incredibly stupid and think that they would not be able to vote unless they were able to get through that line by the time the polls closed. And so they went home. Well, we need extra hours added to the voting so that not only people can can vote without any problem, but that we might be able to go and reach these thousands upon thousands of sweet St. Louis who misunderstood what was going on so that we might educate them so that their, their wonderful franchise be exercised. And a judge goes, oh, yeah, that's cool. Anything else, a normal person would look at that and go, well, the people are that stupid. Why the hell would I? I'm not going to change the rules. People are that stupid. It's their fault. They do that. That's what Northern Virginia is. Northern Virginia is the St. Louis of Virginia. Election night results roll in, looking pretty good for the Republicans. And then after everything else, somehow it takes the Democrats in Northern Virginia just a little bit longer than anywhere else to be able to count votes. Then the Democratic votes come in and things change dramatically. Oh, whoa, the state just turned. Yeah. They found out how many votes they needed. It was close enough for them to steal. They don't always successfully steal it, but that's where they steal it. That's the safe place and safe space for Republicans to go. And so, of course, Joe Biden rolls over there to talk not only in a safe space, but about a safe topic. Abortion. He could actually go over there and tout the economy as well, because Northern Virginia is incredibly wealthy. Uh, a lot of Democrats have made a ton of money off of lobbying the government, off of government contracts. You'll see some mega mansions over there. You'll also see ridiculously expensive apartments with like 
20 illegal aliens living in each one of them, paid for probably by cartel money, but nobody's allowed to ask, and it's a hate crime that I even mentioned it, but that just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, so they went to Northern Virginia to hold an abortion rally because they've got their finger on the pulse of uh, the corpse of last election, and they're hoping they can reanimate it. And there were a lot of people standing up, coordinated throughout the auditoriums, yelling about, uh, ceasefire now. Stop Israel. Genocide. Israel's committing genocide. Blah, 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 blah. All the things you see on college campuses brought home. And the president kind of said, let them talk, let them talk, let them talk, while security was escorting them out of the, the room. Not, not really let them talk, let them talk. Like, Don't boo them. They have a right to do this while they're being thrown out. Note that the president, if you can find footage of that, Joe Biden never said, no, leave them in here. Let's have a dialogue about this. It was, no, no, don't boo them. They're just exercising their First Amendment rights. Now get them the hell out of here. They're exercising their First Amendment. They're the Santa Claus from A Christmas Story. He's crying. He's like, oh, it's okay. Get him off me. He's wet. Putting on, saying one thing, doing another. Well, Corinne Jean-Pierre, so historic, was asked about this. And she, too, got on the, it's okay that people are protesting. It's okay. They're just, pro they're protesters. Now, if they'd stood up and said, support Israel, or they'd stood up and said, it's enough of this money to uh, Ukraine, we need to curtail spending, or whatever, support life, they would be monsters. They would be just this side of domestic terrorists. But because they're the Democratic Party space, they have to pull this sort of garbage. So Corinne Jean-Pierre tries to explain that Biden supports these protesters, at least, at least the ones from the left. When you talk to the president afterwards, is he frustrated that he wasn't able to sort of deliver the speech as he intended? I mean, look, look, the president, from my view, and I think some of your colleagues uh, have written about this, it was a fiery speech. It was a deeply, deeply... Um, uh, impactful speech. Uh, you heard how the crowd reacted to the speech. Uh, it was a speech that I think landed in a way that talked about how this president and his entire administration is going to fight for women. And that is also important. Look, you know, I said this at the top when I was asked this question. He respects all Americans, uh, you know, their right to speak out as long and make sure their, their voices are heard just as long they do it in a peaceful way. That's what we want to see. Uh, and uh, he's made clear about where he stands uh, on, um, uh, you know, on the, on the issue that we've been talking about, obviously, today, uh, with Israel uh, being able to defend themselves, understanding the painful time that a number of communities, uh, and we're certainly working to be supportive of resource uh, and resource and respect different points of views, uh, but he's been very, very clear. Uh, and uh, look, uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna continue to, to be clear about that where we stand, uh, and also obviously respect the peaceful protest uh, that you know Americans are allowed to do. My God, she's so bad at her job. She is so bad at her job. Nothing you ever hear me say is, unless I'm reading a news story, is ever written down for me. Things are written down for her, and she can't read them. She has talked about. She's been an, a liberal activist for at least twenty years. There's no daylight between joe biden and moveon.org where she used to work how does she struggle to be able to well you see on this this issue that people 
care about and whatever. It was a fiery speech. It was a fiery... Good Lord. You can see why they have John Kirby there ready to pinch hit for her on half of the topics of the day because she is wildly incapable of handling it herself. But she said, people have a First Amendment right. You don't have a First Amendment right to disrupt other events. You don't have a First Amendment right to be a complete jackass. You're not going to go to jail. You're not going to get beat up for it. But if they had an absolute First Amendment right, then there would be lawsuits for anybody who was you know, physically removed from an event, Joe Biden, for screaming and yelling at them, for violating the First Amendment right to do that. They don't. They know that. But they're not MAGA, so they're not monsters. And so they can do that. And you can't, uh, if you start talking about, uh, well, anything that Democrats don't like, then you become a monster. But if you're on board, you will be appeased. You will be placated. That's just how it works. Now, uh, the other day I told you about the redheaded woman sitting next to Peter Ducey as he was asking questions about the border and how she looked like she was like at an insurance seminar, forced to sit through, sentenced by some judge somewhere. And I suspected that it was Kelly O'Donnell from NBC News. It is, in fact, Kelly O'Donnell from NBC News. She's the redheaded woman who is always to the left of... Peter Ducey, who never has a follow-up question about what Peter Ducey's asking about when it comes to the border. She's just disinterested. They couldn't care less. But when it comes to protesters at the Biden event, see, the media is trying to figure out, are they supposed to be mad at these people? Are they supposed to lionize these people? What, are the, what is the playbook here? Uh, they are waiting for the marching orders from the Democrats to know whether or not these are people who need media scorn or media indifference or media propping up and so she she doesn't have a question about the border but she does in fact have a question about protests at joe biden's events because why because well this is nbc news in terms of the event yesterday where the president obviously indicated that the views of the public are passionate and there are um expected protests. Is he now braced for protest at every event where the public is expected? So, look, let me just say more broadly, obviously the president respects people's right to to speak out peacefully, as you just stated in your in your um, in your question to me, Kelly O, uh, as it relates to events and what to expect, that is something for Secret Service. Obviously, they deal with that. It's not something that I can speak to. They look out for that. They deal with that, so I don't want to get ahead of the Secret Service process. But look, uh, you know, again, the president believes that the Americans have the right to speak out, make their voice heard, uh, as long as they do it peacefully. And so we, res- we respect that. you got to love that hard-hitting journalism. A lot going on in the world. The border situation is an absolute crisis. And is, is Joe prepared now? Is he just going to accept all these protesters? Or can we, are we supposed to attack them? Or is he cool with it? I need to know what I, look, Rachel Maddow has a, a, a scorching monologue based on whatever your answer is. It's just, you know, the introduction and the conclusion are slightly different, but the body is the same. She just wants to know which way to go. Are these the enemy or are these people who are heroes? Which is it? Like, wow, we must live in an incredibly peaceful, prosperous world if when you have a chance to ask a question of the president's spokesperson, Ask an official question, an official White House. That's what you come up with. 
Does President Biden resign to just, you know, left-wing mutants screaming and yelling? An interesting question that they wouldn't ask is, what if they suddenly become conservatives? What if conservatives take a lead from what you're saying to us, Karine Jean-Pierre? And they say, oh, Joe Biden is down with this. He's cool with that. Democrats would routinely send in snipers and activists into Republican events to disrupt them, chants, screams, yells, all this, that, and the other thing. What if they returned the favor? What if, like, Turning Point USA that has a whole bunch of young activists, ideologues, ready to go, true believers, what if they started attending Joe Biden events? And they, in coordination, like a, like a symphony from around the auditorium, took their turns one at a time to stand up and yell out things about Joe Biden. Yell about, oh, I don't know, where's any proof that you loaned your brother $200,000? What about your junkie son? Why'd you give him $50,000? What about this? What about all the embarrassing things? How'd you get rich? Why do you have so many LLCs in your family? Or they just started chanting in unison 10% for the big guy. What if all of those things or any of those things happened? Would the very same attitude be adopted where the president is just up there with his sort of half-cocked pseudo Ben Affleck smirk going, oh, they're just, they're just exercising their right, folks. Let them go. Would that be the attitude? What do you think the answer to that question would be? I think... I think you'd get a dramatically different answer from Corinne Jean-Pierre. I suspect you'd get a dramatically different attitude from the President of the United States, but that's just me. I live in the real world. It is the hypocrisy in all of this that bothers me. And I'll never forget what Rush Limbaugh said. He was talking about a guy who ended up becoming a, a pretty vocal conservative out of Hollywood. He died way too young, an actor named Ron Silver. I remember it like it was yesterday, but it was 1992 after the election of George of uh, Bill Clinton. And I think it was the inauguration of Bill Clinton. They did a military flyover, as they always do, some sort of thing. And Ron Silver was recorded at the time being very angry that the military had flown over this thing. And, and then and he was... It was an interview, and he said, then I remembered, then I realized that those are our planes now. Those are our planes now. And then he was cool with it. And that, was, that was one thing Rush highlighted right then. It's like the liberals look at it in those terms. It's their, they hate the military, it's their military block, but now it's ours. It was always ours. It was always all of ours or it was supposed to be. But they look at it in a completely different way than most Americans do. That's the way these leftists, these this administration, Democrats in general, view people who are disruptive at events. Whether they're protesters just exercising their First Amendment rights, or they're domestic terrorists, depending on what their uh, issue is and where they stand on it. You can't really survive all that long as a nation like that. But there's, what do they say? Well, it's Republicans are seeking to divide us. How? How are Republicans seeking to divide? Well, they're, uh, they're opposing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, no, that's diversity, equity, inclusion actually is literally the definition of divide. You're trying to divide people. You necessarily have to divide people. 
by irrelevant characteristics like gender, skin color, sexual orientation, whatever it is that they decide is important. Everything but straight white people, white men, because white women are the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action in the world, but that's beside the point. Democrats just want the slogan. They don't really care about the results, and they don't want you to think too hard about it. They just want you to buy into the bumper sticker, put it on your Prius, and show up to vote. Give them money. Be ready to march. Be ready to be willing to throw a brick or whatever it is that the fight for justice demands should anybody step to a Democrat and challenge them in any way, shape, or form. It's the hypocrisy. But I'll never forget that about that story from Russia. He played the audio of it. I'm sure it's long since gone now. Of Ron Silver saying, it's our, or maybe it was a print story, but it's, those are our planes now. I'll have to ask Snurdly about that. Those are our planes now. Like, well, they were always your planes. Unless you really view half the country or the people who disagree with you in that country as somehow other or less than you, certainly different enough to differentiate from. And, well, honestly, Democrats do. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Democrats do. That's where they live now. There's a lot of money in there. Not a lot of votes per se, necessarily, at least I hope not, but there's a lot of money in there. And like I say about people on the right who traffic in insanity or stupidity or manipulation, and you can make a lot of money. You think, well, you the more people you appeal to, the more money you make. Not even necessarily. How fervently you appeal. You can make a lot of money if you really fervently appeal to a very small group of dedicated people. You get them, you get a small group of people to really fully commit. They'll go into debt for you. They'll do anything for you. It's sick, it's manipulative, it's gross and exploitative, but it's true. There's no different on the left either. No difference at all. I want to play you uh, two more clips of audio rather quickly here. First one is Sonny Houston, Houston, whatever the hell it is, over at The View, talking about Tim Scott. Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina, recently got engaged. Sonny is black and a professional victim and ready to be angry on behalf of every black person. She doesn't like Tim Scott, thinks he's an Uncle Tom. She doesn't come right out and say it. She just implies it every time she opens her mouth. He supports Donald Trump, therefore he's a sellout. Listen to her talk about uh, Tim Scott, also implying that he's gay. I'd like to just talk about Tim Scott for a moment. Why? And how, <laughs> and how uncomfortable he looked behind Donald Trump and the cringe-worthy moment. He is up his um, body, um, but I, he's in the sunken place, okay? I mean, that's just the bottom line for, 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 for Tim Scott. What's so fascinating is you know he's running for vice president. He endorses Trump on a Friday and then gets engaged on a Saturday Hello. and announces his engagement on a Sunday because it's like, pick me, I'm getting married this year, and no other vice president has been unmarried, right, and has been successful. So it just screams, I want to be your vice president. I love you. I love you. Oh. By the way, uh, for the uninitiated, the, quote, sunken place is from the movie Get Out. That is where black people are sucked in by evil white people and brainwashed and then eventually have their brains replaced 
by white people, the sunken places where they they dip their their personality, they beat their personality down. Sunny is an idiot, but she's not stupid. There's a difference. She knows what she's doing. She's speaking in code to the people who know. Lastly, uh, you know what? I'll just save this for next time. The story out of New York about squatters, because I want to talk a little bit more about Sunny for a second in that that deep space. That this. It's straight up racism that she's spewing right there. It is straight up you are of this skin color and therefore this is the only acceptable position you are allowed to have. There's no difference between this and what leftists do in mass, but they do it this used to be the fringe. This used to be somebody who would, you know, be sort of not otherized, but if they said something so patently racist something so wildly offensive that they would have apologized for but slowly and really ever since clarence thomas when it was just clarence thomas they could just ignore it's just clarence let's go ahead he's an uncle tom everybody knows that ebony magazine ran a famous cover with uh, clarence thomas as a lawn jockey drawn as a lawn jockey on their covers and uncle clarence lawn jockey for the far right and that was, you know, it caused outrage a little bit in the 90s, but the Democrats just ignored it and moved on as quickly as possible. Ever since then, it has been more pronounced that every person of color who dares not stay on the thought plantation, a word I choose deliberately, is therefore somehow an Uncle Tom. And they're just short of calling it that, just short of saying that. But make no mistake, that is subtext of pretty much everything out of Sonny's mouth, pretty much everything you see on The View. Whoopi's a little bit more uh, reluctant to do it, but she has engaged in it. Joy Reid lives in this space. You really got to ask yourself, if they're this worried about people thinking for themselves, what else are they worried? Why, why are they so worried? Why are they so concerned? for people not towing the same line. And maybe that leads to questions, and questions kryptonite to the left. They really, really are. They can't handle it. And since they tend to run in their own circles and a bit of a circle jerk, they don't really have to handle it if we're just being honest with each other. Anyway, uh, I hope you can handle the weekend. I hope you can handle the weekend effing review. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.Locals.com because that's where I'll be next. Well, that and we're on with Snurdly. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., WABC, 7 to 8 a.m. And uh, all that good stuff. Hopefully you have a great weekend. Lions, let's go. Fingers are still crossed. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but I hope you do check out the Weekend Effing Review. If you're not a subscriber, you don't want to enter for Buzz Aldrin or whatever, you can send me an email and say, hey, I at least want a sample. I want to try this thing, this Weekend Effing Review, and I'll send you the Weekend Effing Review. Just email me, and I'll get it to you, DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. Otherwise, see you tonight at midnight. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.